Before we uh, plunge into the troubled waters that are before us here today, I, I, I want us to begin with some really good news. And, and we, we had the good news proclaimed to us. It really is the bridge over troubled waters. It is the bridge that St. Paul is proclaiming to the Philippians today. And he, he's telling us what would we do in, in times of distress, in times of trouble. And it's, it's a very straightforward prayer that he's giving to the Philippians after all he has said in the last several weeks as we've heard him speak. And today he's saying it just straight out. My sisters, my brothers, you are to have no anxiety at all, full stop, in everything, by prayer, petition, thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need that. We need that. And I want us to hold on to that as we unpack both Isaiah and Jesus today in Matthew's gospel, because they are not easy things to hear. They do not sound like real good news, especially when we put ourselves in the corporate body of the world. Now, the first reading, Isaiah sings this song of the, of the, of the great one who, who, who plants a vineyard and he chooses the finest land. And it's, it's, it's a Goldilocks land. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. The land is just perfect. The rains come. It's going to feed everything. He chooses the most choice plants. He, he builds a hedge around it to protect it from others and the elements he he puts up a tower to make sure that everything is going to go the way it comes and, and he's, he's going, he even puts a wine press there because when the vintage wine comes, oh, when the grapes are about to be pressed, oh, how, how sweet life will be. And that's his incredible plan. And of course, Isaiah goes on to say when he comes out to see the grapes, what does he find? Rotten grapes. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word is, is, is not sour grapes, but stinky grapes, useless grapes. And what does he do? He leads them to their own devices. He tears the hedges down. Let, let what's ever going to happen is going to happen. Oh, here, oh, Israel. God is a planter. Israel is the vineyard. We can update today and say God indeed is still planting this wonderful paradise for us to live in, and we are the church, we are the people of God, and how have we responded to the incredible gifts and works that God has done on our behalf? Everything has been given to us. It's all gift. It's all grace. How have we responded? And of course, he goes on to say, when, when, you, when you look for justice, what do you see? Outcry. Yeah. Jeremiah goes out and he says, everywhere I go, I see death and destruction, hatred, division. Everywhere I go, what has become of the vineyard of God? What has become of this paradise that God has given to us? Say, ah, tore down paradise and put up a parking lot. That's what we've got. 
As I was reading this and as I was preparing, I was thinking about my, you know, I got an itty bitty little plot of land. I've got one little tomato plant that Sister Martha gave me that actually grew because I put it in a pot. But next to them, I had a little plot of land with celosias, and I saw some pictures of how beautiful they were. And so I, I hoed it, I manured it, I fertilized it, I watered it, I let the sun shine upon it. They didn't grow, and they didn't grow and they didn't grow. And finally I said, weeds, it's your turn. And they grew. <laughs> well, that's exactly what God is doing. He's not, he's not destroying, he's just stepping back. You want to be in charge? I will leave you to your own devices. But I want to tell you, if you think you are going to be in charge with your own devices, you are on a road to destruction. Now this, this leads us to the, to the, uh, to the gospel. And in the gospel, he's speaking again. This is like the third week in a row. He's talking to the same group. He's talking to the elders, talking to the people of power, talking to the people of position, talking to the, about the people who, who speak on behalf of all of the people. And he's telling them this story. And of course, they know Isaiah. Uh, they are well, the temple people are the Sadducees, the Pharisees are the synagogue people, but, but it's, it's pretty much the same. The year is about the, night, about the year 70 is when, when, Mark, when Matthew is writing this gospel, so he's got a, a Jewish audience. And, and his big concern, because just a couple chapters before, he went into his father's house, and what did he see? He went into his father's house, and he saw that they had turned it into a marketplace. They've turned it into a place of buying and selling. He wanted the place that was supposed to be sacred, and he was incredibly conflicted because, what are you doing? What are you doing with I, what I have given to you? I've given you to everything, and now all you're concerned about is profit because that's how they made their profits. The economy of Jerusalem at the time was the buying and the selling and the, and the housing and the killing of animals. And, of course, those made great who made great profit upon that, wanted to keep everything going the way that it was going. The, the elders at this time were in bed with, with the powers that be, were in bed with Rome. And Rome says, as long as you pay your tithe to us, we'll let you do what you do and you can make all that you can. And indeed they did. And indeed they did. And so Jesus is telling them this, this parable about what's going to be taken away from them. Because the vineyard master plants more seeds, does the same routine, sends out those who tell them it's time to pick up the fruits. What are the fruits you are now going to give? There's only one thing that Jesus demands, and it's a demand. It is not an option. That if you are attached to the vine, he is the vine and we are the branches. If you stay attached, you're going to bear fruit. But when you detach yourself and think you can do it by yourself, which was the original sin, all sin is going back to some form of idolatry where we make the relative absolute, well, then we're going to be in deep trouble. And they are in deep trouble. And he says, you know, I, I sent my servants to say, where, where's the fruit? I, I sent Moses. And you didn't listen to him. 
I sent the prophets. I sent more servants. What did you do? You killed the prophets. And now he's going to predict the future. Jesus then says, and I finally sent my son thinking, well, surely, surely they'll respect my son. And of course, we know the story. We know how it goes. Surely they did not respect the son. Surely they thought if they killed him, they would get all the inheritance. Now, the world still needed them because the son came and said, I will give you access to the center. I will give you access to the father. You do not need to go through the sacrificial offerings of rams and bullocks. That cannot be. That's bad for business. That's bad politics. So what does he do? He says, let me tell you what's going on. The stones that you've rejected has become the cornerstone. It is marvelous in our sight. He is now going to take away from you and give it to a people that will produce 30, 60, 100 fold. I don't know who those people are right now. I don't understand what that's going to be. This, I really think, and I was talking uh, to Glenna a little bit before Mass, and I said, these are the most confusing, painful times I can remember in my own lifetime. He says, wasn't Vietnam crazy? I said, oh, yeah. The Vietnam War was really crazy, but there was something radically different about it. Right now, it seems like everybody and everything is at loose ends. And, and, and there are all kinds of problems that seem absolutely insurmountable, and they almost all relate to the, to the one problem. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to have it all. We are disattached from the vine. And we are not producing good fruit. You know, St. Paul is very, very clear about the fruits of the Spirit. Here's how you know that you are producing good fruit. And Paul in Galatians says very clearly, here's the fruit. If you are attached to the vine, here's what you're going to produce. Peace, joy, kindness, patient endurance, self-control. I, I dare to say, and I'm almost afraid to say, what are we producing in the world today? Division, anger, judgment, projection, resentment, hatred, stinky grapes. Not good things. And why? Why? Because I think we've gotten back in bed with Caesar. I think we've gotten back in bed, you know, it was between Caiaphas and Caligula around the year 70. Back in the, in, in the powers that be, in the power, the power that bees is not connected to us. And so the, the question for us today is does our faith inform our actions, our, our politics, if you will? Or does our politics inform our faith the way we think we want it to be? 
the way of dividing and conquering, which seems to be trumping today the fruits of the Spirit. And there are so many fronts that we seem to be battling on. What's the difference between what the world believes we should be doing and what the scriptures tells us what we should be doing? The refugee crisis is reaching a point where even our liberal president is ready to build a wall. We know the scriptures. We know that the scriptures are clear that we are to take care of the widow, the orphan, the outsider, the refugee, the alien, because you too once were alien wandering in a foreign, foreign land. Now, I want to say this as clearly as I can. This morning at Our Lady of Angels Chapel in Wheaton, Illinois, we're not going to solve this problem. But we're called to wrestle with it. We're called to ask ourselves, what do we do with a stranger at our door? What do we do? You know, when the Vietnam War ended, every parish took in a family and helped to resettle them. And it worked. I've not heard one word from one church because if every church, every synagogue, every mosque in the city of Chicago and in the suburbs took in one family, we can do this. But we can't, and we're not. But we are called to wrestle with it. God gave us this Goldilocks planet where it's not too hot and not too cold where it rains and it's dry and it, and it grows and it flourishes and we know what we've done. And the question is what we'll be handing on to our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren. We don't have an answer. We don't have an answer. But we are called to wrestle with it. And when will the wars end? Two hot wars right now. And of course, we are not going to end that war by our wishing it. But we certainly can do something about the little wars that we are fighting with those who are closest to us. The wars in our immediate bailiwick, where we can be members of the Spirit of God that is called to produce the fruits of gentleness and goodness and life and love. You know, Francis and Claire, and I've said this before, used to go to the outskirts of, 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 of uh, Assisi. And on the weekends, they would look at the pain, the suffering, the violence, the anger, and the hatred that was in the world, and they would weep. I really believe that weeping is part and parcel of who we are called to be, for Jesus wept. He looked at the world in which he was entering into and he wept and oh how he longed to gather us together but we wanted to go our own ways and in corporately we are all part of that so I think that's part of what we're called to do we're not going to solve the problem but but we are called to dare to believe that the vine master that the Lord is really in charge. 
and that our job is to be attached to that vine and not to break that barrier. And at the exact same time to say to him, Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we hear the words of Paul echoing in us. Have no anxiety. You know what is amazing about the letter that Paul is writing is that he was living in times not unlike our own. And shortly he was going to face his own death and demise. And yet the letter to the Philippians is called the, the, the letter of joy. He's in prison and jail and in chains, and he's writing this letter of joy. Have no anxiety. Why? You're connected. By prayer, by thanksgiving. Begin with thanksgiving. By thanksgiving and prayer, make your request to God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will come down upon us. And so, yes, indeed, we are living in in terrible times, times of violence and of hatred, of separation, times of we don't know whether we are going or coming, and yet at exactly the same time, we are intimately connected. We shall not sever that thread that binds us to the divine, the umbilical cord from which we are nourished from our divine mother. And so, I want to finish not with the prayer of Paul, but, but with the prayer, if I can find it, of James Finley, which I thought I brought with me. I did. Finley was, uh, is a uh, former Trappist monk and a mystic and a clinical psychologist, this is his prayer. It echoes Paul. It is our prayer, I pray, today. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of the desire to be ever more clear and imitate our awareness of your intimacy with us that's sustaining us, breath by breath, by breath. Oh, we thank you for this. We thank you for the desire not to break the thread of connectedness with you as we go through the day, facing what we need to face, walking where we need to walk. Oh, we are interiorly moved by your grace to reach out and touch the hurting places with love, that the suffering might dissolve in love, and to continue touching the hurting places with love until only love is left, and to be patient with this, and to be childlike, and open and faithful to this mysterious process in which we incarnate your healing presence in the midst of our lives. And we ask this through your Son, Jesus the Christ, and the people said,